defining theme of the rest of the entire Bible. In fact, everything that's not in the Bible is not in the Bible because it has nothing to do with those promises. If it doesn't bear on those promises or result from those promises, it doesn't get written about. And at the same time, for us who follow Jesus, we find that our personal faith in him finds its foundational example in Abraham. So here's the question. If you find trusting Jesus difficult... Instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. Difficult. Well, then let's look at Abraham. Of following him? Well, then let's look at Abraham. If you struggle to follow God when everything about you, everything around you, everything you see and experience tells you not to, let's look at Abraham. Do you want to know how faith in God grows over time? Do you want to understand how trusting God supplies contentment and hope in the face of awful loss and desolation? Do you want to know how to live trusting the promises of God till your dying breath? Do you want to know how to call on the Lord so that you might be saved? Well, then come with me into the book of beginnings and let's look together at Abraham and God's dealings with him. And let's pray together as we do. Our Father, we thank you that you're our God. We thank you that you're the God who speaks, that you're the one who knows what we need. Or would you give us ears now to hear, hearts to understand? Would you show us what we need that we might have hope and find hope in our darkness and difficulty? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Nathan's going to come forward. He's going to read to us the passage 11, 27 to 12, verse 9 in the church Bibles in front of you. Grab one of those Bibles out. We'll be referring to them. You'll also find an outline as to where I'm going there printed in those bulletins. And if you are under 18, yes, I've got a large bag full of chocolate for those of you who managed to fill that out and show me afterwards. So grab a pen, grab an outline. Nathan, give us some Bible, mate. Okay, good evening, everyone. Uh, the, uh, as Michael said, the Bible verse tonight is Genesis chapter 11, starting from verse 27. Um, it's on the screen. Also, if you'd like a paper copy on page 9. Abram's family. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's, Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iskar. Now Sarai which was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, 
your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Radio, are you ready? Father Abraham had many kids. Many kids had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so were you. So let's all praise the Lord, right? I'm Father Abraham, had many kids. Many kids had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so were you. So let's all praise the Lord, right? I'm left, I'm Father Abraham. How long are we going to go before you? You're not? It's too hot, it's too hot. Let's leave that one for kids' church, right? Whew, okay. And in fact, maybe we should wonder, how is it even possible for us to celebrate being a child of Abraham? Not only is his name here called Abram, not Abraham, we're also told here that he and Sarai couldn't have any kids. And even if he did manage to somehow have some kids, wouldn't we only celebrate then if we were Jewish? And yet Christians, the world over, relish and celebrate being a child of Abraham. Why? How? Why do we even care? Well, it's because of what we find written in the New Testament about him. So in John chapter 8, if we were coming to the New Testament, we would hear Jesus teach the Jewish leaders that being a blood relative of Abraham isn't what makes you a descendant of him, but rather legitimate children of Abraham are those who do what Abraham did. And what did Abraham did? What did he do? He listened to God. And the result of that listening is, what he, is that he believed what God said. So in Romans 3 and 4, we find it written there that Abraham is the father of all who believe Jesus died for their sins. And again, in James chapter 2 and then in Hebrews 11, it's written that Abraham is the example of living faith. And perhaps most helpful of all, we find in Galatians 3 verses 5 to 9, these words written for us. So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? 
So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so as the Bible describes it and defines it, Abraham's kids are those who have faith in God to keep his promises in the same way that Abram did. Now, later in his life, God will change his name from Abram to Abraham because he'll move from being, the name means father, to father of many, the father of many nations. And these are nations not defined by blood or genealogy, not by birth certificate or a national day, not by a flag or a constitution, not even defined by geography, but instead a nation defined by faith in the God who speaks and gave his promises to Abraham. So then, are you a person who listens to God's word and trusts him to keep his promises? Well then, congratulations. You're one of Abraham's kids made righteous by faith, your faith placed in this promise-making, promise-keeping God. Congratulations, that's you. Cheers. Well, that's who we are and we're his kids. Well, then what did he learn? What did he learn that we can learn from him about the promises of God and how to live by faith in him? Well, we find that Abraham listened, he obeyed, and he trusted God to reveal more along the way. More along the way. Not all information up front, but more along the way. So Hebrews 11 verse 8 reflects on this saying, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And that this is written about him in the letter to the Hebrews. It's written there because of what we have recorded back in Genesis chapters 12 through 25. Well, I'm sure you noticed, of course, as Nathan read it out for us, that it actually began in chapter 11 by describing his father and that wider family he's part of. Now, those names of Abram's relatives uh, and where they live will become highly significant later. Maybe it'll be the name of your next child or grandchild. Now, you've got some to choose from, right? Uh, Well, actually, they will become very important later on in Genesis, so stock them away in your memory. They will become important later. But for now, it also helps to orient us where we are in time in history and geography. And most importantly, it orients us to where we're up to in the history of God's dealings with not just this family, but with the entire universe that he created. So if you've come to us here at Bulleye in the last couple of months, uh, this will be news to you. But we worked through the first 11 chapters of Genesis in term one last year as a church. So those sermons can be found in our podcast library and you can ask for the the copy of those studies from our office. We'll happily supply them. But for those of you who were here, well, I'm sure you will have no trouble recalling the powerful word of God as we consider it together. The powerful word of God he used to create and to govern all things that he made. And you'll recall, I'm sure, 
humanity's tragic refusal of his word, refusal of his sovereignty, refusal and rebellion against his provision of care. And you'll recall God's judgments in response and how weren't they amazingly mercifully limited? He kept them alive. He kept them from destroying each other and he kept supplying life when death was deserved. And though his judgments were severe and real, indeed they were, they were always surgically incisive and amazingly restorative. Each time God spoke, he brought their evil to a conclusion. He intervened with judgments that cleaned up the mess and got things heading in the right direction again. That's what we saw in those first 11 chapters. God's interventions in their chaos, darkness and death was to speak words of life and hope and faith and a future. Well, now we come to chapter 11 and at the end of it here, the focus shifts from not an account of the whole world and what's going on everywhere and now to the account of Terah's family line where God speaks again. Why to them? Why pick these guys? Well, because the genealogies of chapter 10 and chapter 5 revealed for us that Terah was a descendant of Shem, who was a descendant of Seth, through whom the bloodline of God's promise is carried. The promise that the curse of rebellion and death will be one day overthrown by a promised son coming from that particular family line. And because God is utterly committed to his plan to save humanity from destruction and to tell us along the way so we know what's going on and to bring all of creation along with us, well, so here as recorded in Genesis 12, we find that God speaks again. But it's different, isn't it, this time? It's unique in Genesis so far. This time when God speaks to intervene, it's not because something went wrong. This time, it's an unasked for, undeserved, unprovoked word of promise. An unprovoked word of promise. And it's spoken to just one person within this family line. One man within his father's family who had remained living in the vicinity of the Tower of Babel. That's where Ur of the Chaldeans is, in the vicinity of the Tower of Babel. Long after the sense of Canaan and Japheth had left to establish other lands with their unique languages and tribes, these guys were still there. And into the darkness and impending death of these childless nomads in Ur of the Chaldeans, well, God spoke Again, speaking words full of life and hope. That's what's recorded for us there, those words, those all-important words in 12 verses 1 and following. So it begins, Go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Hold it right there. That's a pretty serious command, isn't it? Let me feel the weight of that command. Imagine for a moment leaving everything you know, everyone you know, every aspect of who you were, you are, your clan, your people, your household, imagine turning your back on them and determining never to see them again. And again, that you don't know where you're going if you follow this command and when you're going to get there and where it even will be in relation to anything else because God didn't reveal the destination. Imagine the scepticism you're going to need to overcome to obey this command, to trust the one 
who gives it. That's a big deal, isn't it? Well, thankfully, God said more than just the command to go. He also added, I will make you into a great nation. That's pretty good. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's pretty good, isn't it? On the weight of one command to eight promises of blessing, God's generosity is clearly greater than the cost he was asking. Now, we're not told how 75-year-old Abram, just think that, he's 75 years old, how he weighed these things up. But we do know is that Abram listened to God and refused the security of stopping in Haran with the rest of his family. So verse 4, So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. You can see it in your mind's eye, can't you? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. I've got to say, I love kids' picture Bibles. I do. They are magnificent, especially when we're interacting with small children. We ought to use them to help kids learn and start to get some things and images stocked away because those pictures can be helpful. But we also have to remember to help our kids grow beyond those pictures and actually start dealing with the words that we have here in the descriptions here. And we as adults must never stay with that kid picture Bible understanding of what God did. Because if we do, then we're going to get stuck imagining a sentimental picture of a couple of grey nomads going for a stroll with their cat. (laughs) Depends on which Bible you've got, right? It's a lovely picture. Or perhaps we'll imagine Abram and Sarai trucked together on a camel with young Lot hitched up behind and all their baggage maybe on a camel or two behind, hitting down the road a few clicks. Why can't we or shouldn't we stop there? Because, well, it doesn't reflect what's here in the Bible for a start. And also, it was nothing like that. Yes, indeed, they walked. And in fact, they were walking some 1,300 kilometres as the crow flies. So direct line here to Adelaide. That's how far we're talking. That's what they were walking. But not directly, mind you, because they didn't know the way. There's no roadmap. There's no GPS. There's only God's instruction that I'll tell you when I get there. There's no line, you know, sign, hey, you've arrived. Here we are. None of those things. And the best estimates of their size of travelling party was something in the order of 500 people with all their baggage and all their belongings and supplies driving in front of them, their herds of goats and flocks of sheep, you know, carrying everything they're going to need to keep them alive and to trade along the way. And it's, it's no small event. It's no small event. This is a small town moving across the landscape, which now makes it even more significant because all of them are trusting this promise of God to Abram that God will tell them when they get there or tell Abram at least when they get there, wherever that is. Isn't it astounding? And did God keep his promise? Yes, he did. 
Yes, he did. Verse 6. Abram travelled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So while doing a stopover for a bit of sightseeing at the pagan shrine near the great tree of Moray, Abram now sees and then hears more than he bargained for and certainly more than he expected. And his response to such vision from God and a confirmation of God's promise that this is the spot, well, his response is then to mark the place, mark this pagan site with an altar to the true Lord of the heavens and the earth. Abram's actions were publicly clear to all. This is God's land now. But he doesn't stop there. Next, Abram, he keeps travelling and he went and pitched his tent between Bethel and Ai, in, which are in visual distance from each other. And there in the heart of the land, what did he do? Did he assimilate with the culture? Did he inquire of the local customers and work out how to fit in? Did he claim it as his home, his forever home, and fall in love with the landscape? No. None of the mistakes that you and I attempted to make living here in the northern Illawarra, he did none of those things. Rather, as a man living by faith in the promises of God, Abram went on mission. Abram began a church planting venture. He set up an altar. He gathered his people around him and called on the name of the Lord. Publicly proclaimed the name of the Lord in which all people can be saved, all nations. He's proclaiming that this God is the one true God, that the local gods, well, yeah, there might be some, but this one is the one true God of all things and that he would tell anyone who would listen the great things God had already done in getting them there and had promised he would yet do for all who now he came in contact with. What are those promises? I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So for anyone who comes near to Abram to hear this testimony about God's promises, they would hear that God's blessing isn't just on Abram. No, God's blessing could overflow Abram and include others also, include all nations also. This was the gospel Abram knew. That's a gospel of salvation to many. And Abram, his household, they're now a living testimony to these promises so that from now on, wherever they pitched their tent, they became an outpost for the gospel so that it would overflow, that blessing would overflow to all those around them. And that's what it looks like to call on the name of the Lord. That's what it looks like. That's what it meant for Abram then. And that's what it still means today for you and I, the children of Abram. We're gathered here as children of the promises of God. And what do we do when we meet? We remember God's word. We open up and examine his promises. We listen to him and we respond in faith as we call on him. That's what Belle was doing as she led us in prayer. We call on him to be faithful to his promises, to save, to help. And we call out his name as we sing, as we speak. 
We call out his name so that others can hear and receive his blessings also. We're not selfish with those things. We call them out so others can have them too. And we know that that's how it works. Now, sure, the words of our gospel are different to the words of Abram. Of course they are. We know, what we know now from the New Testament is what God had not yet revealed to Abram, is what the fulfilment of those promises would be. Well, God has revealed it, that the fulfilment of those promises is Jesus for all of them. So that people from all nations, all nations can receive God's promises by calling on the name of Jesus. And furthermore, just like Abram was commanded to leave his family and security and go, well, so too, we believers today have a command and a promise from the Lord Jesus. Sounds very similar. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus said these words after he'd risen from the dead. And his command, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And what's the promise? Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's what we're doing here. That's what this church is. That's what it was planted here to do 140 years ago. In obedience to Christ, this fancy-looking tent is an outpost for the gospel. What is it here for? It's a staging point from where the grace and love of Jesus can overflow to one another, yes, as we gather, but also beyond us into the northern Illawarra and beyond again to the far reaches of the world as we send missionaries and support those kinds of ventures. This is an outpost where foreigners and exiles can gather and grow in Christ together as we remember the promises of God, as we stand on the promises of God, and as we call on the name of the Lord. That's the, that's the life of faith. For the children of Abraham, the life of faith for all the children of Abraham. So is this your life? How I just described you. Is your life wrapped up in and devoted to and guided by the promises of God? If your answer is no, that's okay. But I'd love to urge you to say something slightly different. No, not yet. No, it's not, but, but it's not not yet. I, I, I'm interested. I'd like to know more. I want to find out more. I'd urge you, please, to go that way. I'd invite you to come in closer and examine and find out more. Examine us, what the life of faith looks like in God's people as we gather here at this outpost. And examine us as we examine the life of Abram, this term. And you'll see in practice what it looks like as you watch God's people call upon the name of the Lord. And if your answer is yes to that question, if, if, you, if, if you know this is you, if you're already a child of Abraham, well then, you know the words of the song, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You've got so much to be thankful for. Praise the Lord. You're a child of Abraham. You, you are a, an inheritor of the promises. Praise the Lord. And let's praise the Lord together and let's get busy encouraging one another how to live it 
and to keep on living it and not to stop living it so that we don't make the mistake of assimilating here, but instead that we would live counter-cultural lives of faith just as Abram did in that foreign land. Now that's terrifyingly risky, isn't it? But it's also excitingly beautiful. A life of faith, it's, it's a life that's bold. It's a life that's public. It's a life that's challenging. And it's a life that is full of purpose and blessing to others. Not just us. Remember, the blessing overflows as indeed we live for our God. A blessing for others beyond us. But only as we stand on the promises of God. Well, that's a challenge for us, isn't it? It's a challenge for Abram, and we're going to see in the coming chapters how he struggles with that, what it meant for him, what it means for us. We're going to need God's help, aren't we? So let's pray and ask him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you for your great and precious promises and your faithfulness in keeping your promises to Abraham, that you are the promise-making and the promise-keeping God. We thank you for the blessings that have already overflowed to the nations through our Lord Jesus, reaching us. And so while we remain pitched here in the tent of this church, pitched here in the tent of these bodies, all temporary, please help us to live faithfully by your promises and boldly hold them out to others so that all might find life and blessing in your family through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen.